Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and along with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Brian Slagle. He is the CEO and founder of Metal Blade Records, and he is also a huge hockey fan, and he is a huge hockey collector, really into game-worn jerseys. And just to give a little bit of background for those of you who might not be familiar with Brian or Metal Blade Records, you'll definitely be familiar with some of the bands that he has helped launch the careers of, including Metallica, Slayer, Overkill, Rat, Guar, Corrosion of Conformity, Kill Switch Engage, Cannibal Corpse, Dragon Force, and Fate's Warning, and also the Google Dolls. Those <laughs> <laughs> clients. So, Brian, yeah. thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're a hockey fan. Why don't you tell us how you got into hockey? So, growing up as a kid, I was a huge sports fanatic. I played, I played everything but hockey. I played baseball as I was. Played baseball from like five to eighteen. I was on a high school tennis team. I played all the sports. Played street hockey, but and I could skate, but I never had enough money to be able to afford to play because it was really expensive and single mom, all this sort of stuff. But I was a fan. Then in 1982, so hockey. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles, where luckily enough, it, there was a in the 70s there was this weird kind of hockey renaissance thing happening where you had the LA Sharks and the Kings, and they're building hockey rinks everywhere. But there's really no games on TV for a couple of years. And in 1981, out of the blue, some local channel picked up the Islanders Stanley Cup final matches. And they would play it at like midnight, which is kind of when I was kind of winding down. So I started watching those. And I hadn't seen hockey for a while. And I really got into it. The following year in 1982, the guy who – I also had a fanzine prior to doing the record label. And the guy who had printed – the fanzine, his dad did a bunch of work for the Kings and the Lakers. And again, this is 1982. So instead of paying them, he would give them season tickets to both teams. They didn't want the Kings season tickets. So they said, hey, we know you're a hockey fan. Do you want them? Because I had been to a handful of games at that point. But I go, sure. Got the tickets. There were amazing seats in the corner. And that's really what started to, to get me completely hooked. And then I became a complete insane hockey fan. Nice. So, so I've heard you mention in interviews before that uh, Deep Purple's Machine Head is kind of what got you into metal. So I guess you could say the uh, Islanders game on TV was your machine head of hockey. That was the, um, yeah, that was the renaissance. Like I said, I, I watched it as a kid. And I went to a couple Kings games when I, was, when I was a teenager, and then I went to a handful. But the Islanders were definitely the, the kind of well, – well, it's, it's, there's two funny stories about that. The Islanders definitely – with a caveat to get me really into it. But also, strangely enough, as a kid, my favorite hockey team has always been the Pittsburgh Penguins, only because when I was like six years, six or seven years old, I was really into Penguins. When I found out there's a hockey team and the Penguins, I'm like, oh, I have to be, love that team. Can we have you on as a guest every week? I, <laughs> my little sister was also is also a Penguins fan, and for that very same reason. I mean, if they were called the Kitties or the Bunny Rabbits, she would have probably been a fan of theirs but you know she likes to point out that they're also a really good team I mean especially you know in the 90s when they they came into their own so I mean everybody picks 
teams for a different reason. And it's always interesting to hear those stories. I mean, I know a guy who is a Devils fan because he just liked the way the logo looked. And that was it, you know? Yeah, but, I, but I'm definitely more of a hockey fan. I mean, I, I, obviously, here in Vegas now, I love the, the Knights. I had season tickets forever for the Kings, obviously. Just to give you the levels of hockey insanity on my end. So at one point, I had tickets to six NHL teams. Kings, Ducks, Sharks, Arizona Coyotes, New Jersey Devils. And well, actually, the six was the, the Phoenix uh, Roadrunners, so they weren't really NHL. And that was for quite a, a long period of time. You're, you're uh, talking season tickets. Season tickets, correct, for all, all of them. Wow. And then uh, I have about, I'd say maybe 1,300 games on videotape from 1982 to about, you know, ni- 1993 when it was, you could see it on satellite, there were DVRs and stuff, because my friends, would we? I'd tape the Kings games, and one of my other friends would tape the Oilers, and one of my other friends would tape the Rangers and the Whalers, so we could see all the games, and we would just trade around. So, so that gives you a little bit of the insanity, you know. And then we'll get, I'm sure we'll get to the jerseys at some point, which is a whole nother thing. Tim went to a lot of Wrangler games when he was in Vegas. Did you go to any Wrangler games also? I went to tons of Wrangler games. In fact, the the funny thing about that is that I've become really good friends with Mike McKenna, who's also a big metal fan and he of course yeah. played hockey for uh, about 10 different teams and he played two years for the wranglers so i saw him play i also saw him play for the lightning when he played there Un- not knowing that later on down the road he'd become a very good friend of mine so yeah i went to many of those games i went to thunder games uh, every hockey team out here that existed i went to do you happen to remember the first game you actually went to yeah it was uh, a king's game i believe 1974 so it's thirteen, and that was the, I don't remember who they played or anything, but I went to that. I went to one King Kings game there, and I think I went, like I said, I went to a handful when I was a teenager. So that was the first one. You were around when the Kings came into the league in '67, but you probably you were like six. You wouldn't have really remembered that. But you saw the team in your teen years. You went to a lot of games in your twenties because somebody had season tickets that nobody wanted, so you took those. And then you also got to see the Kings during the Gretzky years. Like you were a hockey fan at that time. So I guess I just would really like to know what was it like, the turnaround in hockey between like just people all of a sudden caring about hockey, but also getting the world's best hockey player on the team at the height of his uh, dominance. Yeah, that was unreal. I mean, you know, I I had been a season ticket holder for a while at that point. there was nobody at the games. You get maybe four or five thousand people at, at max, and you know I had these amazing seats in the corner. The, the forum was really laid out strangely, so I was like maybe I don't know six rows back, but we were above the glass in the corner because the, the thing started so high, so we could literally see every inch of the ice perfectly. And having Gretzky and being able to watch him for those years was just unbelievable. I mean, I went to every game, and uh, he was incredible. The only obviously bummer is that they never won a cup uh but the kings were um fairly mismanaged at that point and they would constantly make ridiculous trades and trying to do the right thing but always doing the wrong thing (laughs) but it was pretty incredible and we went from you know where nobody was at the games and nobody cared to every game sold out it's all celebrities and it was crazy that had to be a lot of fun though right i mean oh my gosh so much fun 
so much fun. And, you know, he was such an amazing player that he would make other guys better. Like one of my favorite guys with the Kings prior to Gretzky getting there was Bernie Nichols, who actually met a couple times just as a fan. He couldn't have been a nicer guy. And then when Gretzky came here, he and Bernie were, I mean, they played so well together. Bernie had 70 goals that one year. And then, uh, for whatever reason, the Kings traded him, which I never quite understood. But uh, but yeah, it was it was just incredible. I mean, to be that close and to watch somebody that great all those years was was pretty spectacular. Well, it's interesting that you you say that Gretzky made everyone better. I mean, players like that, that's why they're the greatest because yeah. they can make everybody around them that much better. I mean, Lemieux did it in Pittsburgh. Gretzky did it pretty much everywhere he went. You don't have that type of generational talent. No, and, and those two guys from, from the players that I saw, clearly far and away the best two players I've ever seen. And I, I actually think Mario is a better, was a better player than, than Gretzky was, even though I saw Gretzky so many times. And even Gretzky said at one point that if Mario stayed healthy, he probably would have broken all my records. And I, I'm not going to disagree with him. <laughs> I reiterate my statement earlier. Can we have Brian on every, every show? We can just uh, talk about how great the Penguins are and how great Mario is. No. Um, but you know, then what would you talk about, Tim? I, I'll give him the mic. That's, that's fine. <laughs> to tie in the Penguins and the metal thing a little bit, I, I, I mean, we could spend the whole podcast talking about my, my Penguins and metal stories, but the, uh, the guy who runs all the music there is a huge metalhead. And I mean, that's probably the most, you know, there in Dallas and, and Anaheim, there's a few places that are super metal. But yeah, there, there's a big metal contingency there in Pittsburgh. And the guy playing all the oh, music. Yeah. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where it's always 1980-something. Yeah. <laughs> my my joke that I like to say about hockey is hockey uh, hockey is the only sport where the hairstyles and the music in the arena hasn't changed since 1983. Yeah. Maybe much. not so much anymore now that beards are really popular, like Brent Burns beards. But you said you could you could fill a whole podcast with your penguins and metal stories. I think we need to hear at least one. <laughs> I will, well, I'll try to condense this because it's a long story. But um, so... Uh, back in, in the uh, 90s, uh, late 80s and 90s, friends of mine who are, are hockey fans in New York ended up working for Stan Fischler. So Stan Fischler would have, uh, occasionally drop my name and, and the Metal Blade name in his column in the hockey news back when it was like a printed thing. And so one time he did it and he said, hey, uh, rumor has it that uh, Yaramir Yager is going to uh, hang out with the Metallic guys in the studio. I'd never heard anything about this. I knew obviously who Yager was and, and I'd gotten them some, I'd gotten Yager some signed Metallica stuff because he's a big Metallica fan. So the next thing I know, I'm on the phone with Metallica's management and the Penguins and we, anyway, we, we arranged this meeting for when the Penguins are in San Jose uh, in the 90s when Metallica was recording the load record. And I took, um, I'm trying to remember three, Joe Dedzik, uh, Yager, and I'm trying to remember who, who the third guy was. It, I see his face. But anyway, took, got a limo, went out to the studio, hung out with them. Obviously, everybody's freaking out. I, I couldn't tell who was more excited, though. It's it either the Penguins guys or the Metallica guys, because, you know, head, James Heffel was running around, Yager saw my stick, and it was just, it was great. It was a crazy night and super fun. So I became somewhat friendly with Yarmir, who couldn't have been a nicer guy. So, so, what is that like walking into an arena and all of a sudden one of your metal blade bands comes on the loudspeaker? Yeah. You know, it's pretty surreal because obviously, you know, 
being such a big hockey fan, I was like, well, it'd be cool if they would play one of our things down the road. And, you know, in the 80s, when we were just a tiny little label. So yeah. now it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I, I can't, can't deny every time that happens, it's very cool. I remember when these guys sent me a demo tape. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, one thing I want to uh, bring up, because I, I know you've told this story a million times, but because this is a hockey podcast and not everybody who listens to this podcast is maybe as well-versed in metal music as, say, Tim is, but your Metallica story about helping getting them started into making me, or being a band. Yeah, so I... When I was a kid growing up in Los Angeles, uh, some, I, I used to be a tape trader. So I tape, tape live, tra- live tapes around the world to various people. And at one point I was getting an ACDC tape from Sweden and the guy in Sweden said, hey, there's this band you might like called Iron Maiden. I put their stuff on the end of this tape. <clears throat> I heard it and I immediately freaked out, did research, found out about, about this scene called the New Wave of British Heavy Metal. Got completely 100% into that possessed the whole thing, did a fan, did the first American heavy metal fancy. So I had one other friend of mine who was also as crazy as I was. So we went to a, a show by Michael Shanker, who was the old guitar player from UFO at, at a place called the country club in, in Reseda, California, outside of Los Angeles. And afterwards, uh, my friend John saw a kid in the parking lot that had a Saxon European t-shirt, another band from the New Wave of British Heavy Metal that no one in Los Angeles knew who they were, let alone had a European shirt. So my friend John runs over to this kid. He goes, where'd you get that? He goes, you know who Saxon is? He said, yeah, you know, I'm a big fan, da, da, da. So they start talking and, and then John says to this kid, you, you've got to meet my friend Brian. So about two days later, uh, Lars Ulrich and I started hanging out and listening to music. And the three of us, he was 16, I was 18. We just were, were friends over the music. And he he couldn't believe that when he moved to California that anybody knew about any of these bands. He thought he would never find anybody. So so we became very good friends. At some point, you know, I started to, there was a whole scene in LA, metal scene in LA, but nobody knew that it existed. So I was working at a record store, got the idea if I put together a compilation album of LA heavy metal bands, I went to all the distributors and said, would you sell it? They said, sure. So I started talking to, to all the local bands, Rat, Motley Crue, all the local LA bands. So I was kind of getting to the end of it. And Lars called me up and said, hey, if I put together a band, could I be on your album? I said, sure, of course. Uh, so at that point, he, had, he and James had jammed a couple of times, but nothing really happened with it. So being on a record in 1982 was a big thing. So he went to James and said, hey, we can be on a record. And that's how Metallica formed, and the first song came out on the first record. And they've done fairly okay since then, I think. Yeah, all right, all right. To, to fairly okay to say that. I mean, Metallica being you know a band that not only like transcends metal or rock, but like just music, just pop culture. You know what I mean? I mean, you just you, you have metal bands that maybe you have metal bands that metal heads have heard of. You have metal bands that rock fans have heard of you had you have metal bands that music fans have heard of and then you just have metal bands that everybody the, the whole world has heard of so i mean your little bit of generosity there you're like yeah sure we'll put your we'll put your band i, I know it wasn't like that this was a friend of yours but in my retelling of it it'll be oh yeah sure we'll put your little band uh, we'll, we'll throw it at the end of the well and that's the thing they weren't much, even a band gonna be any good or not but i was like yeah sure yeah. why not <laughs> it wasn't well, even I mean, they didn't even exist it's like know. if i put a band together 
can I be on your album? <laughs> well, they, they've been all very nice, all, all of them over the years. I'm still good friends with all of them. And they're always very kind to me saying that, you know, if that didn't happen, who knows what might not have ever happened. So Now, not to nerd out about Metallica, but if it was this lineup, was this before Cliff Burton was in the band? And was this yep. before Dave Mustaine's yes. run with the band? That, that first song was, was uh, James Hetfield playing guitar and bass and singing. Lars playing drums, and uh, Lars's friend Lloyd Grant played the lead. That was on the very first pressing of the Metal Masker album. And the subsequent ones had the, the demo that they did when that was when uh, Ron McGovney was in playing bass and Mustaine was in playing guitar at that point. But that was long before Cliff. But Cliff, I had a big thing to do with having Cliff in the band because he was in a band called Trauma from San Francisco who uh, was on Metal Masker 2, I think, yeah, 2, and they came to L.A. and did a showcase. And the band was okay, but the bass player was phenomenal. And a couple of weeks later, Lars called me and said, hey, you know, we, we think we need to make a change of bass because we're getting better as musicians and Ron's just not coming along. Do you know anybody? I said, well, as it happens, this band Trauma is coming down here again from San Francisco to play. And their bass player is incredible. You guys should come out and look at him. So him, Lars and James came out and I... 10 minutes into the show, Lars looks at me and goes, that's going to be our new bass player. I'm like, yep, all right, sure, Lars, whatever you say. And they, uh, they made that happen. And you got Jason in the band too, basically, too, didn't you? Yeah, same thing. Jason was in a band called Flotsam and Jetsam that was on our label. And unfortunately, the same situation where Lars said, well, you know, we need a new bass player. Do you know yeah. anybody? And I first recommended Joey Vera, who plays bass in Armored Saint, because yeah. those two bands are very good friends. And Lars said we already went there and Joey didn't want to do it because at that point, Armored Saint was still a pretty big band. So I said, well, if he's not going to do it, then we have this band of Flotsam and Jetsam and I think the bass player would be perfect. And that was Jason Newstead. So the moral of the story is if any anybody out there needs a bass player, call yeah. Brian. He can hook you up. He I'm knows exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've probably done half a million interviews since you became one of the biggest and most influential metal guys, personalities in the world, probably. Um, and you know, since we're a hockey podcast and focused on cards, I, I'm trying my best to, to control my fanboy shock and awe that I'm actually sitting here talking to you right now. <laughs> I mean, some of my favorite metal songs and bands of all time have come from Metal Blade releases, honestly. Like Rain of Fire by Armored Saint, one of my favorite songs of all time, off Symbol of Salvation, RIP Dave Pritchard. But I mean, I love John Bush. I love his voice. I think the Anthrax albums that John Bush did with them are highly underrated and people ignore them. Um, you know, Tormentor by Slayer, another one of my favorite songs off Show No Mercy. You know, basically the entire Graveyard Classics album by Six <laughs> Feet Under. I mean, it's a flat out amazing album for a cover album, especially their cover of War Machine, which wasn't even on my copy. Oh, wow. I admittedly heard that song many years later when... <clears throat> Napster came out and I found that song. But still, I mean, it's one of my favorite Kiss songs of all time and Six Feet Under covering that is is just unreal. So, I mean, I could sit here and talk forever about this kind of crap, but, you know, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep it like focused on yeah. uh, like hockey related stuff and and it's well, I funny appreciate all, I appreciate all the support. That that's awesome. And I agree, you know, with John Bush and all that other stuff. It's uh, that's cool, man. Totally cool. 
I was gonna I was gonna ask, did you even try to exhaust all efforts to keep the Goo Goo Dolls as a punk band, or I mean, did you have any control over that? So that was a weird, uh, a funny story. It's funny how things happen. So the, the Goo Goo Dolls, when we signed them, were a punk band that, from Buffalo, right. New York, and they actually opened for Cannibal Corpse a couple times. That shows right. you how they were heavy. So all along, they were a, a punk band. They were kind of moving into the more, you know, pop. I don't say pop punk, but you know what Green Day and all those bands ended up doing. Still pretty heavy. So the the record that broke them was was a boy named Goo, and they were still signed to Metal Blade at that time, even though we had a partnership with Warner Brothers. And we were making the record, and it was a great record. At, at the very end, Johnny comes to me and said, "Hey, you know, I wrote this acoustic song, and we we kind of recorded it just for fun. I don't know if we should put it on the record because it doesn't really fit. What do you think?" And I listened to it. I go, Johnny, it's a good song. I mean, it's not going to hurt. Just throw it on the record. And then next thing you know, we weren't even going after that track. We had spent a bunch of money on a video and we're exploring another uh, heavier track. And Kevin Weatherly, who is the, uh, at the time was the uh, program director at KROQ in Los Angeles, which if, he was the biggest, most influential program director in the country. He broke you know, everybody from the Chili Peppers yeah. on down. So one night he decides to play Name and said, you know, hey, what do you guys think about this? And the phone lines and everything went crazy. And the next thing you know, it's a top five hit going replacing Madonna at number four on the billboard charts. And they just became huge. And that kind of changed their, their tune a little bit because then they kind of became known as this ballad band, which is kind of not what they were, but Hey, you know, more power to them. They're still around doing well today. So. So, Hey man, who's that band your mom likes? Oh, it's the Goo Goo Dolls. They opened for Cannibal Corpse one time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And big Sabres fans too. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, and you know what? It's it's funny you bring that up because um, you're around, you know, musicians and you're around the music scene. And, you know, there's there's so many musicians that have pledged their allegiance to various teams. And I mean, I know Lizzie Borden's a huge Kings fan and so is Rob Zombie, um, you know, and I've heard you I heard you do an interview. Uh, it was probably years ago with Chris Barnes. And um, from for those that know Cannibal Corpse and Six Feet Under, but he's a huge Sabres fan. And um, I think this was when they started using the uh, Buffa Slug logo, as we call it around here. Yeah. Uh, and I remember him talking on the interview about how much he absolutely hated that logo and he could not stand it. And I think most Sabres fans thought the same thing. Yeah, and he, I, and I, to this day, I remember. And when we, we even talked about that on one of the episodes of the podcast, and I even talked about it. He said it looked like the U, the USPS logo, the, right. the postal service logo, and I thought I always thought that was hilarious, and remembered it to this day. So, um, so I know you're a Pens fan and a Kings fan growing up, and now you're a famous Vegas fan, uh, being out there. You know, how often do you encounter other? you know, musicians or metal personalities and such, you know, whether they're on your label or not, that are also huge hockey fans and you guys can just kind of riff on stuff. Right. There's a few, I mean, definitely, you know, musicians are generally not into sports because they, you know, grew up playing music and weren't a big sports fan, but you get a few, I mean, Phil Demel from Machine Head and, and Violence is a massive Philadelphia Flyers fan. Uh, there, you know, there's a bunch, one of my favorite stories though is, is out here in Vegas because you know, Vegas hasn't had, uh, that was the Knights were the first professional sports team. So Chris Kale, who's the bass player for Five Year Death Punch, yeah. who's also a huge, real hardcore metalhead, great guy. So I saw him at maybe the, 
it was either a preseason game or the first or second night's game, just kind of walking around, going, hey, man, what's going on? And, and he, that was his first ever hockey game. He had never been to a hockey game. He never even watched a hockey game. So fast forward to maybe three months later, he's now on the bandwagon, the biggest hockey fan. He's sending me photos of him in a hotel room and wherever he was in the middle of the door on tour, watching hockey. He's like <laughs> fanatical about it, which I, that's what, what I love is that's awesome. a city like Vegas. And there's so many of those stories here where, you know, they weren't really hockey fans before, but the Knights came here and all of a sudden they're really into it. So it's pretty cool, but there's a bunch of guys. I mean, one of the original uh, hockey fans, uh, metal guys from LA was my buddy Rocky George, who played guitar and suicidal. He's now in Fishbone. And he played. He was a really good player. But we would go to games all the time. And just a great guy and a, and a fanatical hockey fan. That's awesome. And, yeah, I, I see the same thing. Musicians were the quote-unquote nerds and didn't really get into yeah. the sports back back in the day. So, you know, fi- finding musicians that are also big big sports guys, is I always find that interesting to see where that crossover comes in. Also, those two things, though, I mean, if you think about it, to be a musician and to be a good musician or accomplished musician, you have to dedicate a lot of time and effort into it. So I can kind of see where, you know, at that point where you just say, this is what's important to me and everything else just kind of falls by the wayside. You know what I mean? Um, so I I, I, I kind of understand why. Just like uh, guys who maybe play sports at a high level they don't really, they don't also like have time to learn how to play guitar because, you know, they're doing extra time in the gym or they're throwing an extra 200 pitches or shooting the puck another, you know, 200 times at the end of practice or whatever. So what I find really fascinating though, is musicians and athletes are the same. They're literally the exact same people just in two different forms. And one always wants to be the other. Like a lot of athletes want to be musicians. A lot of musicians want to be athletes. So it's, it's really interesting and hanging around, you know, both obviously way more musicians than athletes I have, but they're both so similar in what they do, how they do it, why they do it. You know, they're playing in front of arenas and stuff. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, you know, I want to ask about some of the uh, the game worn jerseys. You sent me some pictures. You also have a video uh, that's on YouTube that I'll, I'll share in the, the comments and links below. I, the one that jumped out to me is the purple all star. Wayne Gretzky jersey from the 1994 All-Star Game. And I cannot think of a more iconic jersey from that game. I want to know how you ended up with it. I mean, I know the story is I paid a lot of money for it, but there's probably a little bit more of a story than that. You know, it's it's funny. I have so many jerseys. At one point, I had like 3,000. And I got about 800 of them game-worn. So the, the, the Gretzky one's not game-worn, but it is autographed. And it was, so I was friends with, um, with this guy, Brian Turner, who ran uh, Priority Records, which if you know, you know, if you watched uh, Straight Outta Compton, that's the record label it was on. And he was a good friend of mine. He was really good friends with Gretzky. They had grown up together and played hockey together. So they hung out a lot in LA and I was lucky enough to kind of tag along a couple times, which was pretty surreal. Uh, and, you know, Wayne could not have been a nicer guy. So I, so I, I'm trying to remember the exact story because it was so long ago, but somehow he knew somebody that, that had a few jerseys that they were selling from there that, that Wayne autographed. I know he autographed and they said, would you want one? I'm like, of course I would want one. So I ended up getting it. It's definitely of all the jerseys I have, certainly pretty, pretty cool for sure. It would have been more amazing if it's game worn, but uh, the fact that they didn't make a whole lot of those at that time and his autograph is pretty cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, any, Gretzky autographed anything is awesome. 
And then you have a Lemieux jersey as well. Yeah, that one's in a, it's framed. It's the jersey from the first Stanley Cup win uh, with the classic Penguin logo, not that pigeon thing that they use afterwards. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's autographed by Mario. So that that's pretty special. And I have an autographed Gordie Howe jersey that came to me in a very unusual way. Whoa. A band sent me their demo tape from Detroit, and they knew, obviously, I was a big hockey fan. And one of the guys in the band's father was close to Gordie Howe. So they sent me this autographed jersey along with their demo and said, hey, we know you're a big hockey fan. They gave me the whole story and photos of him autographing it and everything. So I have that as well, which is pretty spectacular. I felt very bad, though, having to tell the band that uh, we couldn't sign them, though. But, but that's a pretty amazing jersey. <laughs> I was just going to say, who was the band and did you sign them? But I can't yeah, remember that, who the band was. That's pretty much the answer. We, we definitely didn't sign them, but it was unbelievably nice of them to send me that. <laughs> wow. incredible. That yeah, that is incredible. What's the first? What's the first hockey jersey you ever put into your collection? Uh, it was remember? the Kings jersey, one of the one of the beautiful uh, purple and gold jerseys. Yeah. Yes, nineteen eighty two or three, and I think the second jersey I got after that was a Penguins jersey. So did you did you initially start off with the game worn stuff, or did you go with you know replicas and then kind of add to it from that point? Yeah. So what happened was I was I was. I don't want to say one of the first, but I was one of the first people ever to wear jerseys to, to hockey games. When I, in, the night, in the early 1980s, hardly anybody was wearing a jersey. And I started to collect them because I just thought they were cool. I would wear, I would wear you know, some of the other NHL ones, but then I really got into the minor league stuff because the logos were cool and nobody knew what they were. So I'd always wear some crazy jerseys to the game. Every game I wore a different jersey. Of course, now everybody's wearing jerseys, so I probably haven't worn one in years. But I, I got into it, and then um, eBay. So when eBay uh, first started, nobody knew anything about game-worn jerseys or what they were worth. So you can go on eBay and find a game-worn jersey for a minor league team in Odessa, Texas, for $20. So I just thought it was cool to collect them. And then I started understanding the game-worn ones were cool just because the players were wearing them. And then we started to, to sponsor teams that would wear a metal blade jersey for their warm-ups. We did sponsorships with Bakersfield, Condors, Wichita Thunder, uh, San Antonio Rampage, Tulsa Oilers, uh, a, a bunch of them. I was involved with the Central Hockey League. Prior to that, the Western Professional Hockey League, where I became friends with the guys who ran it. And an interesting note of that is that Brad Treliving, who's now the GM of the Calgary Flames, was the president of the WPHL and then the CHL after that. I was very good friends with him. And it was fun to get involved on the business side, even though it's a terrible investment. I invested in a couple of hockey teams, the, the Lake Charles Ice Pirates, who immediately went under the first season I was there, and also the El Paso Buzzards. And it was fun to, to do that, and, but it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible investment. But I just started collecting over and over again. And, and like I said, eBay was really the catalyst because I probably bought, I'd say, maybe two-thirds of all the game-worns I have off of eBay because they're pretty inexpensive. Then I got connections, and I get people in the cities to, to get me the jerseys. and It was yeah. a whole crazy thing that in the 90s I just went I went a little too crazy probably. Well, it's interesting you bring up the, the minor league teams, and, and you, you, you talked a little bit about that. Um, I was going to ask you about the time frames with the Ice Pirates and the Buzzards, and you were involved with the Trenton Titans too, weren't you? Weren't you? Yeah. So, point? yeah. So the 
late nineties, early two thousands was when that whole Western professional hockey league was going. And they, we had all these games in these little tiny Texas towns and a lot of barns. And those games were so much fun. Every game would be seven to six. There'd be 10 fights. Yeah. Some of the most entertaining, fun hockey I've ever seen in my life. And it was just so much fun, and I got super involved in it. And then the Trenton Titans thing, a, a music friend of mine who managed a bunch of bands was starting a player agency. And he started with this guy named Rich Lisk. And the first guy they were uh, were uh, representing was Alex Martinez, who, of course, now is here in yeah. Las Vegas for the Kings. So eventually, Rich was tied to Trenton and he was trying to redo the Trenton Titans. So I came in as a very tiny minority owner, really just to do some cool stuff with them. We made some cool logos and all this sort of stuff. And of course they lasted a season and folded. Yeah. So you don't want me involved in your minor league hockey team. Cause every time I get involved, they fold after one season. But I was going to say, has, has that developed its own name? Like the metal blade curse or something? Don't, don't get them involved with your hockey team. They'll go I, I, I would love to take the credit that it's all my fault, but this is just minor league hockey over all these years was oh, yeah. run yeah. by a bunch of people that uh, probably shouldn't have been owning anything. <laughs> no, and it's, I mean, I, I mean, even to this day, it's, it's a struggle. Well, you know, once you get below the AHL, you don't have a whole lot of funding. And, you know, we even see this year, I know this is a, this is probably a bad example to compare it to because of COVID and everything else that's been going on. But, you know, you only have what half the ECHL teams even starting back up. So, yeah, it's, it's um, a struggle, but so, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it it's interesting because I've heard you talk in, in, in the past about being involved with all these different teams and it's like wow to be able to experience it on that level from more of a whether you want to call it administrative level or from at least from an ownership angle just to kind of see how the operations and that kind of thing works from that end of a hockey team yeah and it's it's frustrating because i mean look it it was fun and you're involved with the fans and like the lake charles team I, i love that city just a little tiny city the middle of nowhere but the people they were great and the team was fun and it was a real cool experience to be part of but then you see how people run businesses it's like look, i've been doing this for you know almost 40 years now so i'm, I'm not an expert by any means but I, I know how to run a business it's a fairly simple thing to do but man these owners would just be doing stuff you just shake your head at and yeah. When I was involved at the Central Hockey League, we were we were uh, one of the main things I was doing was helping them with with building the arenas because they built all these arenas in you know Laredo, Texas, and Hidalgo, Texas, and uh, you know Prescott Valley, Arizona, and Allen, Texas, all this stuff. So the guy running it, Rich Rick Kozabak, who's a phenomenal guy and, and really smart, but I was talking with him and Brad. I think the three of us, him, Brad, and I, were talking. Went out to lunch or something. Just talking about what? Why do these owners just? not know what they're doing and a lot of these owners just figure they're going to get a hockey team put it in a city and it's just going to it's going to be huge without doing anything it's like we've got to promote things otherwise nobody's going to know it yeah exists so never could quite figure it out but yeah if you're putting on a concert and don't advertise it no one's coming exactly 100 percent well one thing that's that's funny literally and figuratively about minor league hockey is it seems like the lower you go, the, the the more ridiculous and funny and crazy things get. And I'm wondering, you don't have to name names if you don't want to name names, but I'm wondering if you have a funny or crazy or ridiculous minor league story, either as being a part owner or sponsor of a team or even just to a game that you went to. Well, there's a bunch of those probably. I think the craziest game, and I believe it's on YouTube too. I went to a game in Austin, Texas. So Austin had the Austin Ice Bats. Mm-hmm. And they were f- 
super fun because they played literally in a barn. The bathrooms were outside, so in the middle of winter, and it's cold in Texas. You have to go outside to use the bathroom. It's crazy old place, but the games there were, were insane, and they have a very famous uh, enforcer named Jacques Mallot, M-A-I-L-H-O-T, and mm-hmm. he would. There were always fights when he was there, and it was always pretty crazy. But you know, it's generally, and you hear stories about you know, most of the time these guys fight on the ice, and that's it. It doesn't go off the ice. It doesn't happen like that. Well, one night, it was a crazy game. It was, I forget what the score was, but like nine to seven or something. There was a ton of fights. And Jock just got crazy. Somebody went after one of the guys on his team. He went crazy. And I remember that he, there was tons of fights and they're taking him off the ice. And he turned around and tried to get back on the ice. And the other people get, anyway, there's fights happening outside of the rink, like on where the platform where the, the fans are. It was insane. It's a scene straight out of Slapshot. It was just like the wildest brawl I've ever seen. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it on YouTube once. So it's probably up there somewhere. We had security there trying to break it up, and they couldn't break it up because it was just these guys were in, completely insane. The, so the fight spilled off of the rink and into like the area where the fans would stand and watch the game. No, it was it was more like where the the player entrances to the uh, to the dre- to the dressing rooms were. There yeah, weren't really yeah, any fans there. there, so thankfully it wasn't Mike Milbury with a shoot. I was just gonna say, and then Milbury jumps out of the crowd, starts <laughs> beating a guy that. with his loafer. There wasn't that, but it was all the players. And there was like five players fighting off the ice in the concourse area. It was crazy. Wow, wow, that's, yeah, Jacques uh, Melhot, the mailman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I've heard of him. He's he's legendary. If uh, just a little toss out to anybody who might have seen the movie Goon, the book that it's based on actually talks a lot about Jacques Melhot because the uh, author of the book, Doug Smith, he fought Jacques a lot when they played in the ECHL, played against each other in the ECHL. So that's how I knew that name because he, he fought with him a lot. And so I'm like, oh yeah, that guy, he was crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a phenomenal movie, by the way, too, Goon. Yeah, I, I loved Goon. I didn't like Goon 2, though. You did or did not? Did not. Yeah, Goon 2 was... I was a little disappointed in the second yeah, Goon movie. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. It wasn't as bad as like Slapshot 2, for example. But uh, yeah, oh, it wasn't... Oh, yeah, no. That That is a good point. If you're going to rate sequels, maybe... You go Mighty Ducks 2, and then you do Goon 2, and then you do Slapshot 2 in that order. That's about right. Since there hasn't been a uh, Your Favorite Movie sequel yet, Young Blood 2. Young Blood 2, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's coming in uh, 2024, right? Yeah. You know, another thing I wanted to ask about the jerseys is some collectors, it's just a gradual thing, and other collectors they just kind of say okay i have three game worn jerseys now this is what i'm into like nobody like makes a proclamation and takes out a full page ad and says i am now collecting game worn jerseys but i guess at one point you you do make up your mind right because like i own hockey pucks but i'm not a puck collector like i'll I'll buy a puck every now and then but i don't have two thousand of them and i guess at what point did you decide you know what i'm doing this and i'm doing this hard yeah, I have the collector gene, which is both good and bad, I suppose, because I have a massive music collection as well, and I kind of got into it with the jerseys, too. And 
I just like I just always liked the way they looked. I thought it was cool, and, and I really loved the minor league logos. I thought they're really inventive and different. So I just started to kind of buy all of them, and, and after a while, it became an obsession. And I would fly to games on Halloween to get the special Halloween jerseys, and and again, I was I was all over eBay. eBay was really the 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 machine that drove me to get these kind of numbers because it would be impossible to do it other than that. And I bought so much stuff on eBay. I'd buy like team jersey. I'd buy a, there'd be a team that said, "Hey, we we uh, end of the season. We've got twenty jerseys we need to get rid of. You want to take them for a couple hundred bucks?" I go, "Yeah." And then people knew me around the leagues that, "Hey, this guy will buy all your stuff." <laughs> so it was pretty crazy. And then once I got into it, just the the collector gene just hit, and I just went probably for, more crazy than I probably should have. But I've much more calmed down at this point. In the feature that uh, the Knights did on you, um, and they show the jerseys and all that, um, I saw there was a few helmets, uh, like goalie masks and things in there. What other than the jerseys and maybe the goalie mask? What are there other things hockey related? Oh yeah, memorabilia. Are you a card collector? Do you collect hockey cards or? So yeah, so I, I have. Did you bid on that million dollar Gretzky card or? Well, I'll tell you a funny story about that real quick, too, um, in a second. But so the level of insanity from me is that I have an entire house that is only my sports memorabilia. So it's predominantly the hockey jerseys, but I've got quite a few game use sticks, maybe 30, you know, and some cool ones. I've got a Yager. I've got a Lemieux. I've got a Ken Baumgartner from the old LA Kings, which we did a, a record with at one point. Uh, like J.P. Kelly, a uh, whole bunch of stuff. And I've got pucks. Uh, I have a lot of pocket schedules. I always thought those things are really cool. So especially minor league ones, I have tons of those. Uh, also little figurines. I, I'm a big fan of the World Junior Tournaments, so I've been to many of those. So I've, I bought a bunch of stuff from there. So I've got hundreds of T-shirts from all these, uh, you know, NCAA Frozen Four or junior tournaments so i've got a lot of that so I've, I've got a lot of stuff but the the jersey's the main thing everything else there's you know 20 30 40 50 of which still is a lot obviously yeah uh, but and i have a bunch of pucks as well but not 300 maybe maybe 100 if you're a fan of the world juniors you got to be excited with the games starting up this weekend well i can't wait yeah what might have been the greatest 10 days of my life was in the 94-95 World Junior Tournament in Red Deer, Alberta, where they also played in Calgary and Edmonton. And that was the year of the lockout. So, you know, all the guys play like Jerome McGinley. I mean, a bunch of Hall of Famers that played there. And that tournament was just incredible. And just to be in Canada and, and the, the fans. And I remember driving to this little town called Stetler, Alberta, which was, I don't know, 45 minutes outside of Red Deer. It's a tiny little practice rink. And Russia played the Czech Republic in that game with all these, again, future you know, NHL. It was, it was crazy. But, yeah, I can't wait. I mean, that's, that's insanity. That's all, I, all I'm looking for right now is December 20th when the, uh, the prelim tournament happens. And it's – what I try to explain – and obviously your audience understands hockey a lot more. But what I try to explain to my friends, like, why are you so into this tournament? It's literally like watching – 10 of 10 or 15 or 20 of the next greatest bands ever all playing in clubs for a week. That's really yep. what the world junior tournament is. It's, it's yeah. phenomenal. I love it. That's a great comparison. That's exactly what it is. Cause how many of these guys are going to be stars, if not potentially superstars yeah, going and forward. Every, yeah. And every single superstar player from Gretzky Lemieux on down have all played in this tournament. So it's, it's great. I mean, I saw, I was in, I went to uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. I saw, uh, Alexander Ovechkin is a 16-year-old who was incredible. 
Yeah, and that and that's the other thing too is a lot of people don't realize that you don't make the connection when when you're a casual fan and think, well, you know, these guys are going to make the NHL, so I'll see them then. You may not. You know, a lot of these European players and players from Russia and stuff, they could be the best and still never make it over to the NHL or decide yeah. not to come and just stay in the KHL. They don't yep. get the exposure on TV. I mean, yeah, with YouTube is blown up as, as it is, you know, people can see some some things now, but they got to go searching for it. And so, but, but you know, I, but I love seeing the, these kids when they're kids before they get to the NHL. It's again, it's like watching, you know, seeing Slayer in front of 30 people, you know, it's like, yeah. I got to, I got to experience that. So I'm obsessed with stuff. That's the only thing that's kind of keeping me going now is the college hockey games. Cause at least we've got some of that and this yeah. kid uh, power on Michigan. Wow. That kid, he, I think he's going to go first, second or third overall. He looks incredible. Absolutely incredible. Six foot five defenseman, moves fast, has great offensive skills. He he reminds me a little bit of of, uh, of Darlene a, a little bit at that same level. The kid's going to be special. You know, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the ice bats because as far as minor league hockey logos go, that is one of my favorites. It's just the Austin ice bats. For those who have not seen the logo, it's a screaming, swooping bat against the night sky with hockey gloves on its on its feet holding a hockey stick and the hockey glove that's facing towards you is the texas flag like the patterns of like the fingers and on the top of the hand make the texas flag it is such a clever logo i was so bummed when the dallas stars started an ahl uh, franchise in Austin and called it the Texas Stars. I was kind of hoping they would buy the Austin Ice Bats and then make them their AHL team. Yeah, the Ice Bats was just a beautiful logo. Were you involved with the Ice Bats at all, or did you just collect their jersey because it was awesome? Yeah, I was. I was so I was part of the the Western Professional Hockey League. So you know, we, we were doing some things there, and and we were actually helping to try to build the arena there, but uh, I was just a fan. I, I didn't really know anybody there, but I went to, I love Austin. So I went to, I don't know how many games, probably 30 games in, in Austin, but all those, all those little cities were fun. El Paso was great too. And that Buzzards logo is also pretty awesome. They, they all those teams had such great logos back then. The Central Texas Stampede, there's so many great Waco Wizards. I love all that stuff. I was going to just say that I'm changing the subject though, but you mentioned earlier you also collect music memorabilia. Yep. I'd love to hear about some of that too. Yeah, so I don't have as much cool stuff as I probably should have. I'm a big Iron Maiden fan, so I've got every pretty much every release and every version of every release that they have. Again, my, the level of my insanity is I have a house here in Vegas that only houses my music collection. I've got I still got all my vinyl. I've got like 7,000 pieces of vinyl and about 10,000 cassettes. I've got tons of old bootleg cassettes, tapes, uh, CDs. But most of the, the memorabilia, I've got a lot of posters um, that are pretty cool. Uh, one sitting here, you can almost see it, but it's, an, uh, it's a really rare Iron Maiden poster from there. In 1980, they opened for Kiss in France. And I think there's a, just a handful of those posters that exist. So I got a lot of that. I've got a lot of gold records, not necessarily our, some of our own, but also some bands that I really like that people at the record labels were very nice to, to give them to me. So I get a bunch of stuff, but 
a few guitars, not probably as many as I should have because I don't play guitar. I think if I played guitar, that would be the end of me because I probably have 500 guitars. So thankfully I don't play guitar, but, but there's it's some easy to do. It's an addiction. I know. I've got six basses and my wife, it's not a big fan of that. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Luckily I can't play anything, so I don't have any of that. You hinted that you had a, something to say about that, uh, that Gretzky that just sold. Oh yeah. So, so I have, so I, I was a big uh, card collector in the eighties and like, like all other idiots um, sold it all to get a little bit of money. Well, I, it helped out, it helped fund the record company. So I guess in, in retrospect, it wasn't terrible, but I did get really into hockey cards in the early nineties uh, thinking that this is going to be a really good investment and these things are going to be worth a fortune. So I have boxes and boxes, cases and cases of all those hockey cards that are all pretty much worth nothing. But I did keep, uh, I have uh, uh, about, so I have a Gretzky rookie that's in really, really good condition. Uh, I have a, a Lemieux a rookie that's really good, a Willie Mays rookie that's good, a Brett Hall rookie that's good. What else? I have a handful of them. But I was thinking about the Gretzky thing when that whole thing happened. I go, oh, I better look and see what I have. Unfortunately, I have the tops. Mm-hmm. And I had a few you know, of my friends' experts look at it. It's probably about a about a seven to eight, so which I guess is worth, I don't know, a couple grand. So it's not terrible. But for a minute, I, for a minute, when I saw that, I go, "Ooh, wait! I have one of those." Like everybody else, like, "Oh, I have one," but it's well, not and, close to the million dollar one. <laughs> yeah, and and we've mainstream media has latched onto onto this, and and so it's everywhere in the news because everybody's been talking about it. But we've discussed it on on a number of our shows in the last couple of weeks with it being up for auction, and then this this past one with it having sold. And you know, there's two of them, right? there's two known versions that were graded a 10 as far as condition goes. So everybody that's now scrounging around in their boxes and looking in their parents' attics and everything else, trying to find their Gretzky rookie that they think they have. And they think they're becoming a millionaire is sadly mistaken because yeah. I definitely didn't think it was going to be a millionaire, but I just yeah. made me want to look at it because they're just sticking a drawer forever. So, Oh yeah. And that's definitely, that's definitely cool to, cool to say that and well i have a gretzky rookie i mean yeah (laughs) you're one up on me when it comes to that one yeah so you know a a lot of our listeners are card collectors because we we talk a lot about you know hockey card collecting and memorabilia and i'm glad you brought up earlier that you have an extensive collection of vhs tapes and i had heard this that you had a ton of games recorded and and they were all on vhs so first i want to say congratulations on still having a vcr that works um, They're not easy to find. Watch those. I got, I got, yeah. and, and um, mine SVHS, so it's even harder to find. Oh, that's even, yeah, that's that's even harder. So, how far back, as far as the videos, does your collection go? Like, do you no. have recordings from like the '40s and '50s, yeah. or is this actual TV broadcast games recorded to watch later? These are actual TV broadcasts recorded. Yeah. Later. I think the earliest I have a few, like '79 and '80. But it mostly starts around 81, 82. Okay. Uh, and then, like I said, it goes up until about, you know, 90-something when I finally got the big satellite dish and all that sort of stuff. What do you think is probably the most hard-to-find video recording of a game that you probably have? I don't know. You know, it's a good question. I, I, I'm luckily become friends with a few people that work at the NHL. My buddy Sean Rourke, who's the editor at NHL.com, is a big metalhead. So you guys probably I, know Sean. That was actually one of my questions on my list is that you and Sean used to do the uh, metal misconduct pod. Yeah. 
you're ever gonna, you're I have gonna a funny resurrect story that Sean too. But um, but anyway, so he he turned me on to another guy that does all their, their video archives and stuff, who actually also turns out to be a metal guy. So I said, you know, I have all these videotapes, I don't know what to do with them. Would you guys want them? He said, Why don't you send me a list and 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 I'll let you know. So I sent him a list and you know, it just it's so many and like what do you do with them? So yeah. I have a I have a, a, a guy out here actually that, cause I also have, oh gosh, I don't know, over a thousand metal blade VHSs and, and other concert VHSs from back in the day. So we've been digitizing all of those things. So I think he's almost done digitizing most of it. So I'm going to have him start digitizing these games just to have them. Cause it's a pretty easy process. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell because, I mean, I've got, you know, all the Stanley Cup, pretty much all the Stanley Cup finals from 82 to, again, 94. So I've got all that. A lot of playoff games, a lot of regular season games. There's a lot of fun games. I watched during the the, the initial lockdown when there was no sports at all. I went back and watched a ton of L.A. Kings games from 84, 85, and 86 when they were kind of fun and the games were 7-6 and, you know, a, a an Edmonton Kings or a Calgary Kings game would be same thing, you know, eight, seven and, and 12 fights. And, you know, those games are pretty fun. That's why I wanted to, wanted to bring that up. Cause you know, we, we were talking earlier, you know, everything's on YouTube now, it seems like, and you can go back and find, you know, tons of this stuff. And, but there are, there are things out there that are hard to find and you get people on various forums and things all the time asking, has any, anybody's ever seen a video of this game or that game? So I didn't know if you had one that, you know, you should you should send me a link to that forum. I'd love to go in and see what what they're talking about. Because oh. it's possible I might have it. I, I I should do that. I only have like two boxes full of old VHS tapes from '89 to maybe about '95 or so when I would record games. Yeah, they they take up a lot of space. And then yeah, what do you do with them? I mean, yeah, I guess you, you eventually you digitize them because. You know, even even though the games have lasted thirty years on on tape, they might not last another thirty years. Who knows? No, they they won't. And I I can't. I'm one of those guys that can't get rid of things. So, you know, I never got rid of my vinyl. I've moved it. I don't know countless times now, which is not fun. So, I can't. I just can't bear to part with all this stuff. What's maybe the rarest vinyl you own? It's a good question. So there's a couple of them. Um, You've got to have some new wave of British heavy metal rare stuff. Yeah, You've there's got to have some. There's a few things I've got. A um, so Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden's first band was called Urchin, and they put out I think three or four singles. One of them they made like 25 copies of. I, I have that, which I'm not even sure how much it's worth. But I think I think the one thing that I have that might be worth the most is so you know I worked with Motley Crue in the early days and their management came to my mom's house, sat on our sofa and said, we have 900 Motley Crue records that we made. What do you, what, what should we do with them? Cause they had no idea. I said, well, take them to my distributor at the time is a company called Green World, who was distributing my stuff. I said, take it there. I'm sure they'll help you. And they did. And then the rest is history. I wish I would have known more than I knew now, but I do have yeah. a few copies of the original 900 leather records versions. And the reason oh, you nice. know that it's the original is, is Vince's hair is all crazy wacky, but the logo is in black and white. All the other versions, it's in red. And some, sometimes that one, if you can even find it, it'll go for three, four, five grand. 
some of the early, even the red ones will go for a few thousand bucks, the very original pressing. So I haven't seen one for a while, but somebody told me that, that they saw one, I don't know, a year or so ago, what was going for like five grand someplace. Wow. That's, that's crazy. I've sealed the sealed the original sealed metal masters with the Metallica mistake. Those are pretty rare, but I think those are only like eight nine hundred bucks, something like that. Can you like explain that mistake? Yes. Yeah, so, so I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing in nineteen eighty one. I'd never made a record before, and I was trying to make a record. And I had to do everything. I had to get the cover together, get everything else together, get all the names together, <clears throat> send it to a typesetter. All you kids out there, Google typesetter, just figure out what that is. Um, yeah. so there was no spell check back then. So, yeah. So, so Lars literally gave me the, the cassette tape on the very last day. If he didn't show up that afternoon with that cassette tape that they wouldn't have been on the record. Cause I kept telling you, this is the deadline. I can't go past this day. So he shows up, gives me the cassette, uh, and gives me, uh, uh, you know, a paper with, you know, the, the name of the band who's in the band and all that stuff to go on the back cover. So it was so late and I had to get everything together. I gave it to the typesetter who was going to put it together and then I never saw it again because you, you, they didn't have proofreading or proofing back then. So what we figured happened was the typesetter, Metallica is not a word, so she had no idea what it was, probably figured there should be two T's in this instead of one T and she put two T's in. So I get the record back and I'm horrified that the <laughs> name of the band is misspelled on there. So luckily they were very understanding and just excited to have a record out. And, uh, and they've, again, they've done okay. So it's nice. interesting. So earlier you were talking about, you know, you got on eBay and, and that's where you picked up a lot of your jerseys. Um, and, you know, here we've been talking about Metallica and you mentioned Motley Crue and I know Pantera was kind of another band there of the quote unquote bands that got away kind of thing. Um, if you if you knew then what you knew now kind of stuff, has there ever been an item or a piece of memorabilia or something, jersey maybe, that you had to have, but you just you couldn't get it? So, no. <laughs> Pretty much every jersey I've wanted, I got. Okay. But the, har the hardest jersey to get, and one of, obviously, the, you know, the autograph from you and Gretzky and Howe are, are incredible. I've got some other really cool jerseys, you know, autographed Yagers. All this stuff. But the one jersey I really wanted was there was a team called the Tucson Scorch that were going to play in the Western Professional Hockey League that never played a game. They they had a logo. They were ready to play, but they never played a game because Tucson at that point was a really difficult market to, to put place a hockey team because the University of Arizona had a club league team that would sell out games. They didn't want somebody else coming in. Anyway, the team never ever happened and folded before well before they ever played a game but they did make jerseys and they did have a logo but no one knew where they were and i love that logo i'm a big fan of, of the desert I, I used to have uh, houses in phoenix for a long time and i went about trying to find these jerseys and it was literally one of these you know sleuth things where i was a private detective like do you know anything do you, do you know anything and so finally somewhere down the road friend of a friend of a friend was was going to be the equipment manager for them and said i think we i think that stuff got stuck in a you know storage space here or there anyway somebody finally found them and wow. i bought almost all of them and including one that they, they actually did a, a mock-up of a of a, a real jersey with the, the 
WPHL logo and a, an A on it and, and a number on it. Obviously, it's not game worn, but but that jersey is pretty cool. I think in in one of the photos I sent you guys, it, it's probably up there. I think it's the one with Mike McKenna and I in front uh, for the the uh, Knights thing. So oh. it's not the one that got away. It's just it's the team it's that didn't exist. It took me two <laughs> years and nobody knew anything. I just thought, oh, I'm never going to get this jersey. At that point, that was the, the jersey I had to have. And finally found it. It was like, yes, yes. That's crazy story. <laughs> That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah, but otherwise, I think I have every, pretty much every minor league, NHL, European, junior league team from probably 1989 to 97 or 8. Wow. What an archive. So you mentioned using eBay to, to get some stuff to add to your collection. And uh, I know Metal Blade and yourself, uh, you know, you guys are on social media a lot. Um, you know, there's the famous story of, you know, the Black Dahlia murder getting signed just because you found them on MySpace. So, I mean, you were using social media when it was kind of new. Um, has there, do you use social media to like further your collection and find other things or, um, you know, other jerseys to add, maybe more rare things or some game worn stuff that you've been looking for or anything like that? Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't like. I said I kind of have calmed down a bit from the the collecting of the jerseys, but yeah, I mean, social media is phenomenal because you if you need anything for anything, you just yeah. go on and say, hey, anybody know this or anybody know that or even I found you know if there's a problem with a company, I'll go up there and say, hey, I'm having a problem. They'll usually usually fix it. So yeah, if I'm looking for anything that's kind of hard to find or anybody need looking for something. Go on social media, bound to be somebody somewhere to say, yeah, I, I can help you out there. So that's yeah, good. But like I said, I haven't really gotten too much stuff lately. I think I did try to remember there was one of the guys that we used to work with as equipment manager. He, he I was looking for some jersey and he had it. So I reached out to him on social media. But That's good. I mean, I mean, that's it's connected the entire world together, so it's easy to find yeah. stuff. I just think of back way back in the day, you know, you talked about being a tape trader and when you had your fanzine and everything else. You know, think if the internet existed back know, in I, you know, back in those times. In a weird way though, maybe I just because I'm so old school, it it's kind of not as fun. Like it was more fun, like you know, trying to search this stuff out where it's really hard to find. Now you just go on the internet, you find anything you want. It's pretty, pretty yeah. simple. So I kind of like those days when it was harder to find things and really had to kind of go down different rabbit holes and get really lucky and find somebody that had something. So now it's almost too easy. How many more <laughs> houses do I have to buy to hold all yeah, this see, stuff? Yeah, <laughs> not collecting comic books or any of that stuff. Otherwise, I'd be in, I'd be bankrupt at this point probably. Tim, I know you said you had some some fun, offbeat, weird questions that you were going to ask, and I think now's a good time because I feel like we got Brian uh, broken in <laughs> with with all of our other questions. So I think you could let the let the the the, the crazy ones fly. Yeah, I, I've got some I've got some goofy goofy ones that I was going to ask you, but then I we got on track, and you actually answered a, a lot of these already in some of our discussions. But you know, on a <clears throat> On a personal experience level, you know, I know you, you go to a ton of Knights games now and, you know, all of the pomp and circumstance involved with those games, especially the first year that they came into the league and the big productions that would go on in those. I mean, to me, it looked like a metal concert. It really did, like a big theatrical production of something going on. And I haven't been to one of their games because I haven't been out there in a while, but... 
I would imagine it it's like a, a Manowar show from 1985. You know, that's a, that's hail, a... hail and kill, and there's yeah. sword fighting, and there's dragons, and just it's like this crazy thing, you know. It, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I've been to every single NHL arena except for Winnipeg. And I've been to thousands and thousands of games. And, and I've never seen an environment like what they do here in Vegas. It, it's so over the top. It's so well done. that it, It's exactly, it's like it's like being at a rock concert. It's crazy loud. The fans are into it. They're doing all sorts of, you know, you've got knights and fire and all this crazy stuff going on. Even yeah. the graphics are phenomenal. And, Everything they do is top notch. And you talk to all the players and the players are like, we go there and a regular season game feels like a playoff game. I think Stamkos was the first guy who said, I've never been in an arena that's not a playoff game and had that kind of energy and environment there. It's really just so special. It's been, I mean, for me, you know, I, I moved here to Vegas just to basically get out of the traffic of LA and I like the desert and I started meeting people out here and, and, Everybody's like so nice here and you get off the strip and it's a whole different vibe. But, yeah. and, and this community is, is, is phenomenal. But as soon as they, when they had a hockey team, like, okay, that's kind of the final straw here. Um, and plus Kerry King from Slayer, who's a good friend of mine, he was going to move out here. So I was like, all right, you know, I'll go out. So uh, when they got the hockey team, I was like, okay, that, that seals it for me. But never in a million years did we think what happened that first season or, or anything was going to happen. It just, that whole first season ride was just uh, one of the things I'll never forget. It was just couldn't believe what was happening. And again, the vibe and everything, just everything they've done has been so first class here that uh, it's really been a lot of fun and uh, I'm missing it greatly right now. That's for sure. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I, feel, I always feel like in their locker room, like Notre Dame has the play like a champion today sign. They should have um, warriors of the world unite right there. <laughs> and they, everybody hits that as they go out. Cause it's, right? it's going to be a giant show. Um, so you know, you talked a little bit about your friendship with Lars and uh, from Metallica and, you know, the story of your first encounter and how that all came about. Um, so if Lars is your favorite person from Denmark, who would be your favorite hockey player from Denmark? Uh, Freddie Anderson. It's not a whole lot of them, but probably I was going to say Anderson. there aren't a lot, but Freddie Anderson's a definitely a good pick. That's Although good uh, I I will preface that with I went to a uh, an Anaheim Mighty Ducks game with all the guys from Alana Marth who are all huge hockey fans. Yeah. And, and at that point the Ducks had I don't know, six guys from Sweden, so we're looking over the roster, and they saw where where Anderson was from, and they said ah he's a he's a Swede anyway because he's a little like thirty miles away from the Swedish border where where you grew up in Denmark. So nice. But yeah, probably Freddie. I mean, there's like I said, there's not a whole lot of them, but Freddie uh, Freddie's great. I was gonna say I. Before I before I was going to ask that question, I had to run through, and I could think of four in my head. So luckily, you named one of the four that I was thinking of. Yeah. So I didn't have to be like, okay, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> um, so, and again, these are weird questions, and they're corny. So, but whatever. So, you know, I've been to Guar concerts before, and they bring people up on stage and feed them to the monsters. So, who who do you think in today's NHL could be one of Guar's monsters? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, let me think about that for a second. Uh, probably, you know, I would have to go. We ask the hard hitting uh, questions here at Puck. Talk. Yeah, I ha I'd have to go with with uh, our local favorite Ryan Reeves because he's uh, big yeah. and scary and could probably be a pretty intimidating guy. So he would probably work pretty well, I think. That's a good pick. I love Revo, and he's a good guy too. So I've heard. Um, 
So Hockey Night in Canada did a survey not too long ago, and they asked directly, what is the perfect hockey warm-up song? That's a good question. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of the warm-up music these days is not metal-related, so i got to go with a metal song. Yeah. Um, You know, it's both good as a warm-up song, and also good as a puck drop song, which they used to do in Pittsburgh. So, Raining Blood by Slayer. Oh, oh. Perfect. perfect. Wow. That's yeah. Perfect I couldn't have picked a better one right there. That's good. Well, the, the Penguins used to tr- pu- drop the puck there in, in the old igloo. Yeah. And when they moved to the new arena, the ownership was like, yeah, it might be a little too much. So, they do uh, uh, Metallica now, uh, um, um, <clears throat> Seek and Destroy. Which is also, also a good, good. Still yeah, also a good song. Does, doesn't have the uh, the full the full impact though. I think that, no. that Slayer that Slayer does. So I I don't know what the truth is to this, and you can shed some light on it because you're a big hockey fan. And back in the day when you decided to go forward with making the record label and calling it Metal Blade, I heard a rumor that the blade portion of that has to do with hockey's. Is there any truth to that? That is correct. Okay. Uh, I was trying to figure, and again, I wasn't trying to name. I win. You win. You win. <laughs> I wasn't trying to name a record label that I thought was going to be a long-standing thing because literally I thought I was going to do one compilation album and that was going to be it. So I was trying to think. I was originally going to call it Skull and Crossbones, but at the time, uh, the bass player from Blondie had just started a label called Skull and Crossbones, so that was out. So I'm trying to think, like, okay, well, let's put metal in there. And it, it's kind of twofold. It, it's both the hockey thing and also as a big collector of swords, like just medieval stuff. So I like medieval swords. So I'm like, blade of a sword, blade of a skate. Okay, metal blade. And that's kind of how it came out. Okay. So so my sources were correct. When yep. I came up with that one. All right. Well, that's good. I'll have to make sure I pay them extra next week. <laughs> so... <sighs> I could I could sit here and talk to you all day about various things, but here's here's my final question for you. Awaken the Guardian or the Spectre Within? Spectre Within. So it's a tough one because they're both really good, but see, this is why I like this guy. Yeah, Spectre Within. It's so we're doing a uh, uh, a box set with uh, Gimme uh, uh, Vinyl Me Please. And so they asked me to pick, I think it's eight albums. So I did this long interview the other day with the guy that's curating it. I didn't even, I just picked the albums. I didn't really think of a lot of stuff, but a lot of her second albums. And I picked the Spectre Within and he said, you know, why that over Awaken the Guardian? I think that, you know, especially second albums and that album in particular, you know, they came out to LA to record it. You know, I was lucky enough to produce it met with them. They're the greatest guys ever. We all became really good friends. We had a really great time making that record. And that was the time where the band kind of went from, you know, they were, uh, their first record was okay. It was basically a demo tape, but you could feel they were really becoming a, a, a real talented band. And you, the energy was there. And, you know, John Arch, the singer was just phenomenal. And I, I love that record. I love that it sounds. Uh, and again, it was just such a, a great time that Two, three weeks or so, whatever, making it. So that that's that's definitely my favorite Fates album. Uh, probably Guardian might be right behind that, and then Absog probably behind that. When I when I lived in Vegas, my group of friends we would always go to the bar and sit around and get drunk and argue about what bands were better and what albums were better and everything. And this always came up, and I was the only one that would always say the Spectre Within, and there was yeah, one the- reason for that. 
One, yeah, the one problem I have with Wake of the Guardian is amazing. It is, and this is just a personal thing for me. I was really unhappy with the drum sound on that record, even though we recorded at Capitol Records Studio and had all this stuff. But I just didn't. It's really happy with the drum sound there. So that that kind of sways my opinion a little bit. As oh, it's well. a it's a phenomenal album. I mean, I it's it, it's probably easily a top ten album. But, but, yeah, but I, Spectre I Within, to me, I always wanted the intro to Epitaph to be played at my funeral. Uh, oh, like, wow. like just, just that whole intro part. I wanted that to be my funeral dirge. And so when I was being led down the thing, and honestly, I think John Arch should have replaced Bruce Dickinson instead of Blaze Bailey and Iron Maiden, but that's a different argument and a different conversation that we could have some other time. <laughs> so. Well, I never would have. He tried actually, but, but he could never have done it because he couldn't tour. Yeah. Well, couldn't do it. There was that, but I think that's that sound with that vocal. Ugh. I hear that in my head to this day. But right. anyway, so that's enough of my goofy questions. So those are good, though. I like it. <laughs> oh yeah, those are those are fun and extra points for not just blurting out gritty when he said who could be one of Guar's monsters because that was yeah. my first. I'm uh, like, well, duh, gritty. That would, is a that, Guar monster. That would definitely work. That that would definitely work. Yeah, that's I was thinking humans. You know, I do want to ask another Jersey-related question because I just thought about this. You're obviously a very hardcore Jersey collector. Last month, we actually did a three-part podcast where we critiqued all of the reverse retro jerseys that the NHL uh, put out. I'm wondering which of those jerseys you maybe have strong opinions about one way or the other, you being a, a longtime hockey fan and a and a big jersey collector. Have you picked any of them up yet? Like yep. the Kings in fact, one? Or... It's, it's okay. funny you mention that. I literally got three of them today in the oh. mail. The Whalers jersey, the Nordique jersey, and the Vegas jersey. All of all three of those I'm big fans of. I was a, Love a big the Vegas one. Hartford Whaler fan. Uh, I used to go to a lot of games there. In fact, I went to many games with John Arch, the singer from Fate's Warning. We would go to the mall there and uh, watch the games. And I always, I always loved the Whalers. I, I was a big Ron Francis fan. And of course, then when he came to the Penguins and they won the Cups with them, uh, I always was a big fan of his. I'm not sure about a general manager necessarily, but uh, as a player, I love him. So I got those three. I, I like, I, I will say, I was pretty impressed with most of them because, you know, jerseys, I, Especially NHL jerseys, have a, a, I don't like a lot of them. Uh, there's many of them that I really don't like. But the retro ones are all pretty good. I, the worst one of all, though, is, again, one of the worst jerseys that ever existed is that Anaheim Mighty Ducks thing. Oh! It's horrific. <laughs> and should, every one of those jerseys should be burned to the ground. It's almost as bad as that, that third jersey the Kings did that one at one point. Just awful. That, oh, Anaheim, the Burger King ones? Yeah, yeah, it was the, the King jersey from the '96 season that had it looked like a playing card. Yeah, yeah I was, think that was it. Oh, it was horrible. It was like the Burger King guy. Yeah, it was. It's pretty terrible. But yeah, that Anaheim Mighty Ducks one was pretty terrible. But but like I said, I was fairly impressed with with most of them. Were, were pretty cool, and I, I really liked the Nordique one. I like what they did with the colors on there. I thought that was mm -hmm. pretty. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of surreal to see a Nord's jersey in Avs colors. It looks better than the Avs jerseys. I'll tell you that. Yeah, the yeah. Avs jerseys seem a little. There was just too much going on. They're nice yeah. colors, but they're very busy. They're bad. The uh, home Predators jerseys are horrible. The color is terrible. Yeah, I don't like those either. The team with that jersey is never going to win a Stanley Cup. I tell you that. Uh, the and I'm happy. I heard today. I was very happy to hear this. That 
and I don't know if it's going to happen, but there's a grassroots movement in Vancouver to try to change that horrible Canucks logo because it's basically it's an Indian thing. And now the Cleveland Indians are changing their names. So I'm hoping that they do that because they should just go back to the, the jersey they had before before that, the Canucks jersey, because that logo is just awful. It's like, what is that thing? So wait, which logo do you want them to go back to, the flying skate or the stick logo? Uh, either one of those is fine with me. Hmm. I think the stick logo kind of looks cool. They did it the other – they had it as a third jersey not that long ago, and I thought they looked pretty cool. Right, for their 50th anniversary. Yeah, uh, either of yeah. those I'm fine with. Yeah, I like the, I like the skate logo because it, it cannot be mistaken for anything except a hockey jersey. You cannot, you cannot even think that that is a logo for a different sport. It, it, is, a, it is a hockey logo. Yeah, it's a skate. Yeah. I like it. So I thought of one more question while we were talking here. Yes, sir. So the Metal Massacre compilation is considered probably one of the most important pieces of metal ever put out, I would say, in many realms um, for obvious reasons. So if you were to put together a compilation of no one knows about players in the NHL today, who do you think you would put on that compilation? Oh, tough question. Oh, that is a tough question. Um, players we need to know about, but we don't that, know yet. That I have hopes for. Um, so, well, I mean, you know, some of them are, are, you know, guys that we know, like Rasmus Dahlin, I think is going to be a superstar. I really like Cody Glass here in, in uh, Vegas. Mm-hmm. Watched him play a lot in San Diego. And even the few games he played with uh, the Knights, he looked really good if he can stay healthy. Uh, I like him a lot. Obviously, you know, Leah Anderson in Vancouver is – is incredible. Um, again, this power kid that uh, Michigan is is, Michigan. is awfully good. And, and there's a lot of guys playing this World Junior Tournament that are pretty impressed, uh, going to be pretty impressive too. I like Cole Caulfield. Who's, Love Cole uh, Caulfield. You know, going to play in Montreal. He's playing for um, uh, Wisconsin now. There's a lot of really good players coming up. It would, it, would, it would be a triple album, I think. There's so many good young players coming up right now. Well, I mean, how many versions of how – many, how many Metal Massacres volumes were there? 13, 14? Yeah, I think there's 14, 14? now. I mean, there's, yeah. we kind of did nine. We did nine, and then we kind of dotted them here and there. It's just it's hard to do them these days because it's so easy to have access to 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 bands and stuff. But we're doing yeah. we're doing another one now that we kind of put together just for fun. Uh, that's coming out next year sometime. So, oh, awesome! Go back and have all the original bands re-record their first recordings. Yeah. Yeah, we. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we'd like to do with a lot of those, but we lost the rights to it. And just trying to go back to get rights are, are not so easy. But we got a couple Except, things that we're trying to plan, not next year, but the year after is our 40th anniversary. So we're going to try to throw together some cool stuff for that, hopefully. Except Rat. You can leave them off. Oh, cool. I like Rat. <laughs> I like Rat. I like Rat, too. Well, I think that's all our questions. Um, Tim, cool. we good? We pretty much covered the gambit. I mean, couldn't have asked for for a better combination of two of the things that I love, hockey talk and metal music talk. It's always fun for me to talk hockey, so that's an easy one for me. Yeah. So, folks, I just want to remind you, you can check out Metal Blade's records at MetalBlade.com, and then you can also follow them on Twitter at MetalBlade, and then you can follow Brian on Twitter at Brian Slagle. Again, I want to thank brian for joining us this was an awesome conversation and uh, thank you for listening to the puck junk hockey podcast as always if you enjoy this show please like and subscribe and until next time peace out
more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.